looking at the Psalms this summer, and uh, I'd echo what Jake said before I go any further. If this is your first time here, or maybe second time here, we're very glad to see you, and always love to see faces that we haven't met before, and we would love to meet you, so um, just uh, grab somebody you don't know. You may be sitting next to someone and think, why won't this church member talk to me, and they may be a visitor too, so um, please welcome each other, but we're glad you're here. We're uh, in the Psalms this summer. We're going to look at Psalm 67 this morning. And if you don't have a Bible, the whole psalm is there in the bulletin. So you can follow there. And I hope you already picked up, if you were looking at the words that we were singing and just some of the themes already in the service about the nations, uh, the world. This is a very international psalm, and I'm going to try to unpack that a little bit more as we go. But before I read the psalm, I want you to think about this. When, when someone asks you to pray for something, or really pray for someone, and you're not sure how to do it, what do you pray? And probably what we pray is, Lord, bless that, that person or, or bless that group. You know, if someone, if, if someone said, hey, we really need to be praying for our church, and you thought, yeah, we do need to be praying for our church, but then you think, ah, there's so many things I could ask, you know, God to help our church do or be, you know. We don't want to pray, God, make us bigger than all the other churches. Like, how do I strategically think about what's a good biblical thing to pray? And what that might default to is just to say, Lord, bless, bless our church. Sometimes, um, and this can be kind of a Christian jargon sort of thing, but sometimes when Christians get together and pray, you know, kind of close together, someone will say, I have an unspoken prayer request. And that means, it's a legitimate thing to say, but it just means this is something very personal and for different reasons I can't say it, but I need you to pray for it. Well, then you really don't know any information. So you might just say, Lord, bless that person, bless that situation. So here's, here's the question I want to ask. What does that mean? And why do we want God to bless someone? That may sound like a, a dumb question to ask. Like, well, I guess because I want good things instead of bad things. But why do we want the good things? And, I mean, it may be that the reason that we want God to bless someone or bless this thing is so that uh, they don't have to suffer. When God says all through His Word, but like, I, I use that. And I call my people into that sometimes. In fact, it may be as much as counterintuitive as this is, that that suffering is actually me, me blessing that person. Uh, when we ask God to bless a person or our church or the world, which, I mean, some of the things Jake uh, was praying are international things. We try to do that every Sunday, our world. What are we wanting God to do? Why do what is our mental picture of what's going to happen if a people or a group is blessed? So I, just with that question in mind, because this psalm talks about blessing, I want you to look at Psalm 67 with me. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us that Your way may be known on earth, Your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. 
The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear Him. Amen. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we we praise You this morning that You're not uh, American. You're not any nationality. You are God. You alone are the Creator. And uh, we're all Your creatures. And the nations, ours or any other, are just a, a, a drop in the bucket before You. Lord, we pray that as we hear this psalm and think about um, our own world and our own lives, that we would see what you are not just to us and not just to downtown Prez, but what you are to this world. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read you a couple of uh, stats. And the first one's encouraging, and then the second one's not as encouraging. Here's the first one. And this is, so this is zooming the camera way out. This is from a book by a guy named Patrick Johnstone. just came out recently. And it's called The Future of the Global Church, History, Trends, and Possibilities. Here's his statistic. <clears throat> the mobilization of Christians in missions... Now, let me just... I want to define that term before I go any further. When I say missions, I don't know how that strikes you. I don't know what your perception of that is, but what... What I'm talking about and what I think he's naming is not let's go into another country and make them more Western or let's go into another country and make them more American. It is let's go into places where I don't naturally live, we don't naturally live, and let's make Jesus known to people through our words and even through our deeds. That's missions, all right? The mobilization of Christians in missions since 1900 has been astonishing. From 17,400 in 1900, the number rose slowly to 43,000 in 1962, but then came the explosive growth that followed the awakening around that time with some 200,000 missionaries in the year 2000 and maybe even 300,000 in 2010. This has happened even as non-evangelical denominational missions collapsed with the new wave of fervent evangelical missionaries more than replacing them. Now, if you're someone who knows the Lord and loves Jesus and wants all people to love Jesus, that's extremely encouraging. That's the global trend. Now, here's the second little step. About a little over a month ago, I was at our denomination's big annual gathering. We have this big once-a-year gathering in different cities called General Assembly. And one of the things you hear about General Assembly is just sort of a what size are we, are we bigger, are we shrinking, and how many churches do we have, and that kind of thing. So here's some, uh, here's some fascinating denominational statistics for you now. Um, just try not to, try to contain yourself. Uh, but it is kind of interesting to know, right, our denomination is the Presbyterian Church in America. What size is it? We've got a little over 1,800 churches and church plants. It's good, good to know. Um, membership. 300 and between 360, 370,000 ish, uh, which is an increase. It's good to know. Short term missionaries, uh, especially like two week short term missions trips, have increased since the last report. Not a lot, but some. And that's great. And listen, we 
are, are for short-term missions trips. We're praying for church members that are gone right now. Trip to Haiti, Michael Samuel's been in Tanzania, all kinds of good stuff. But here's the stat I want you to hear, that our long-term missionaries decreased by 21 from the year before. Here's what that means. It would actually be unhealthy if our, if our denomination's overall membership had grown and we just retained the number of long-term missionaries that we had. But overall, our numbers grew and our, the number of our long-term missionaries shrunk even as globally there are more and more foreign missionaries. What does that mean? Uh, painting with a broad brush, it means this, that globally the trend is more and more and our people are not participating in it. At least we're particip- we are participating in that less and less. Now, you know, preachers will stand up sometimes, and I'm, I'm telling on us, and will quote stats at the room to scold the room or to shame the room. And it just really doesn't help anybody. Uh, scolding and shaming and saying, look, here's the urgency of it. Can't you see the urgency of it? That just doesn't really touch the heart necessarily. I would say typically it does not touch the heart. But what's in this psalm, I think it really has the power to move people like us out the door. Now, let me just so that this has been clearly stated. I don't believe it is every believer's calling to go to a different country. God has very obvious, at least to me, as I've gotten to know a lot of people I'm looking at right now, it's very obvious that what you're doing right now, you're, and that's both work and relationships and the things you enjoy and the fact that you live in Greenville, family, all that, that those are very particular callings on your life right now. So not to beat a dead horse, I don't believe every believer is called to move to a different country. But here's what I want to say. Throughout the history of the church, when the gospel grabbed people's hearts, more and more people did. And right now, globally, that is happening. What what is it in this psalm that is good news, that's so good, that like we one of us might go do that? Or several of us might go do that? Or a parent might go against all the mental pictures of us all growing older one day and all being together and Thanksgivings and Christmases and birthdays, what might cause a parent to send a child off and lose lots of access on birthdays and holidays? Well, let's look at Psalm 67. And like I said, the word bless shows up several times. So here's how I want to break it down. I'm going to break it down for you now. Um, as, as you probably expected me to do. The first thing is the blesser. I mean, if you're going to have a blessing, there's a blesser. And then second, the, the blessed, or the blessed, the, the people who are blessed. And then third, the blessing. Right, so the blesser, and then the blessed, and then the blessing. First off, the blesser. I, you heard the word bless. Um, How does the psalm begin? May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Verse 6, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Think about this. 
if you go all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, God, it's, the, it's the days of creation. And God starts speaking things out of nothing into existence by the word of His power. And when He gets to the fourth day, the first creatures that He makes are the creatures of the air and of the water. So He speaks into existence the birds and the fish and the sea creatures. And then the first thing it says that He does when there are these, that not just in, you know, uh, objects, planets, stars, all that, but life. It says he blessed them. And then you get to the sixth day, and he makes the first human beings, Adam and Eve. He fashions them. And it says right after that that he blessed them. And I, I, I'll admit, I, when I've read that, I just kind of fly past that. But it's an active verb. I don't know if he, I don't know what that looked like, but he, he blessed them where they knew they were blessed. And then after the six days of creation, he gets to the seventh day, and not because he physically needs it. God is a spirit. He sets this day apart, but he doesn't just set it apart and go, those are work days, this is a rest day, I did this, I want you to do this. He says that, but it says that he blesses that day. This is something of who God is. Um, You go later in the Bible in the book of Numbers, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And in Numbers chapter 6, these instructions are given to the high priest. Now, there's lots of priests in the Old Testament, but there's only one high priest at a time. And there are these specific instructions about when he pronounces a blessing on the people of God at this special time, the way he was supposed to say it. And I use those words like every other Sunday when I pronounce the benediction. We didn't write this. The Lord, what? bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord make His face to shine on you, turn His face towards you, and give you peace. And when God gives those instructions, He, he then says to Aaron, Moses' brother, the first high priest, He says, when you do it this way, I'm blessing my people. You put my name on the people and I bless them. Very specific. God is the blessing God. Now, that may or may not resonate with your experience because for... I know not everybody here is from a church background. Not everybody here has a a biblical background. But if you have been around the Bible, you've seen the word bless, you know that, yeah, God... I see things like God blesses. I see that in the Bible a lot, and I hear that. But that doesn't mean that we really think that's what He's like. Right out of college... Uh, I, uh, my first job out of college, I worked as an intern with RUF. I um, worked as a, um, had a staff position at Vanderbilt. And I'll never forget this. We had a student, and he, he, he lost his dad. His dad died unexpectedly. And he had been involved in a ministry that was just high pressure about, you've got to go out there and you've got to tell people about Jesus. You've got these people in your class. You've got these people in your fraternity. You've got to get out there. You've got to teach them about Jesus. And it was, the way he described it was kind of a pressure cooker environment. And his dad died. And he confided, uh, he confided in our campus minister that he wondered if God did that to like, um, to show him that he needed to get busy that maybe God took my dad to show me that, like, I better get with the program 
And uh, this campus minister that I worked for said he just sat with this guy and tried to explain to him, that is not the God in the Bible. Number one, he does not treat us as our sins deserve across the board. But specifically, I mean, if God was going to do that to sort of like up the ante and show us you better get with the program, everybody we care about would be dropping dead left and right. There's a, this is amazing. There's actually a passage. We don't talk about this passage because it's kind of nestled away and, and, and tucked away in, in the book of Isaiah. But there's a verse in Isaiah 28 where it says that judgment and wrath is, is God's strange work. It says it's His alien work. In other words, this is not something that God is inclined to do. What He's inclined to do is to bless people. And I would just I would, I would put the question on the table before we go any further. Is that how we regard God? Because we can say, yeah, oh yeah, God, He's, he's the best. He, he can bless us. He can, he can bless the world, but feel like His inclination is to scold and for me to be in trouble and that He's going to drop the hammer so I better really stay like close to Jesus or the hammer just, boom, is going to fall on me. God is the blessing God. And if you need any proof of that, when God became a man, um, mamas would bring their children to Jesus. And uh, the Gospel of Mark says he would take them in his arms and he would lay his hands on them and he would bless them. Any kind of child. When, when he said goodbye to the apostles, at the end of the Gospel of Luke, it says, as... As he is ascending into heaven, he blessed them. Their mistakes, their unbelief, their doubt, Peter's denial. He who has seen me has seen the Father. That's what God is like. Okay, so he's the blesser. What about the blessed? Who's the recipient of of his blessing? Well, look at this. Look, Look back in verse 1. Look at the use of the word us. Okay, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us. Look at the second part of verse 6. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. To whom does that refer? It refers to the people of God. It refers to Israel. Now, you may or may not know this, but when you see a word like people or nation in the Old Testament especially, it's very important, does it have, is it plural or is it singular? If you get the word peoples or nations, that's talking about just the nations of the world, the global, global population, all those people groups. But when it says the nation or the people of God, that's referring to one group. God's people, Israel, the people that He makes a covenant with to be their God. And when that starts is in Genesis chapter 12. God comes to this man. He's not, he's not Abraham yet. His name is Abram. And for no reason or deserving or merit on His part, God just comes to this man and says, I'm going to what? I'm going to bless you. 
I'm going to make you a blessing. I'm going to make you a blessing to the ends of the earth. And from that time on, literally from Genesis almost to the last chapter in the Bible, Revelation 21, there's this refrain you keep hearing in the Bible. And the refrain is this. God says, I will be your God and you will be my singular people. I'm not just saving and rescuing people and showing mercy to people so you're a Lone Ranger individual. I am making a people, my people. But here's the thing. And I, this is one of those things that when I learned this in seminary, I, I went, how have I not noticed that? It's everywhere is when you look in the book of Psalms, the word nations and the word peoples is all over the place. So what does that mean? It means that us thinking about, wow, God blesses us that we might be a blessing to the nations, the peoples of the world. That did not start in the New Testament. That starts way, 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 way back. And by the time you get to Psalms, when a psalmist is writing, when a psalmist is singing, it's peoples, nations, peoples, nations. It's not just Israel. Did you hear the pattern in verses 1 and 2? Look at... Okay, I started off with the question. We want God to bless us. Great. We pray that God blesses us. Great. What's the end game? Look at what the psalmist says. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us. Do those words sound familiar? That's that benediction. That's what the high priest says. So he says, all right, God, I want you to do that. Why do I want you to do that? Verse 2, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. In other words, bless us, God, so that the blessing doesn't just get stored up for us, but it comes through us and goes to all the people of the world. And when you read in the Old Testament, you literally see incidents where he does that with an individual. Abraham's great-grandson, I think that's right, Joseph. This guy goes from just a nobody to being second to Pharaoh in Egypt. He, it, practically speaking, he is the mover and shaker in the global superpower. And before it's all over with, this great-grandson of Abraham is distributing food to the nations so they don't starve. Literally. King Solomon, who did not end well, is blessed by God. He's blessed with wisdom. He's blessed with just tons of wealth. And before it's all over with, what happens? The nations of the world are coming to Jerusalem just to hear his wisdom. What kind of wisdom is it? Is it just he's really smart and he's great at... He'll beat you at Sudoku and he's great with trivia... It's, it's the wisdom of God. It's God's wisdom that He's giving to the nations to take back to their cultures. God is blessing His people, and it's going out. But the plan is that the blessed not just be His people, but that the blessed be the, the peoples of the world. The plan is that He blesses His people, that the nations of the earth, might also be the recipient of his blessing. All right, so then that's the third point. What about the blessing? And let's think about it two ways. What's, what's the content of it and what's the effect of it? 
What's the content, but then how do you know if they received it? What, what would you expect to see if they're receiving the blessing? Look back in verse 2. Here's the content of the blessing. Okay, God, I want you to bless us so that, verse 2, your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. In other words, it's not just God make their wars stop, although that is great. That would be great. It's not just God um, take away their famines and give them plenty, although that would be great. But it's God, I want you to bless us so that they're blessed, and what that would look like would be that they know what you're like. And I'm telling you, the best theologian in this room, whoever he or she is, we forget constantly that every human being bears the image of God and was created to know Him and love Him and to know that God loves him or her. I forget this all the time. You know, I've mentioned this in sermons before. I, I just I have a very retaliatory streak, and I don't have the physique to back it up, but it's inside of me. And... And I, I can't stand bullies. Did y'all see that video of the kid in Australia, the big kid that was getting bullied by the little kid, and he's picked him up and slammed him into the concrete? I probably watched it 50 times, all right? It was very satisfying to me. But, but when, when you see some news story about something like just something that ISIS did, ravaging some village, ravaging some area, uh, Boko Haram, abducting these girls, taking them into tra- trafficking these girls, I... You know, there's a part of me that just wants to say, more snipers, more strikes, more special forces, more whatever it takes. And you know, biblically speaking, yeah, the, our government has the right to bear the sword. That is that is true. That is biblical. But like, in the midst of our indignation about it, and we should be indignant. Can we remember that every person doing those things bears the image of God? was made to know Him and to love Him and be loved by Him and enjoy Him. Every person, every person in Greenville, every person that hacks us off, all of them, <clears throat> that's what we're made for. So the content would be this, would be to know Him, and there, I've got to tell you this great little detail, and I, I hope this is not smoke and mirrors because I'm, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I think this is so great. When the psalmist says that your way may be known on earth and then your saving power among all nations, your saving power is one Hebrew word. And it's actually, it's a noun and it's actually a name in the Old Testament. It's, now I think I'm pronouncing this correctly, Yeshua, salvation, or Joshua, or as Americans would say it, Jesus. Uh, when Mary, if, you could, if you had video of Mary calling her son to come home in Nazareth, she would not be saying, Jesus, that's an English version of a Greek version of the Hebrew name. But she would be saying, Yeshua, Yeshua. And 
Now, did the psalmist know that he was writing the name of the Messiah? No. And that, that, that word salvation is all through the Old Testament. But in God's economy, I mean, you almost wonder with a little bit of a, a wink that the psalmist writes, I want you to bless your people so that your way, your, your godness is known by all these different people groups, specifically that your Savior, your Jesus, is known among the nations. That, like, the content of the blessing is that. When God blesses somebody, it can have a physical component to it. He might give them wealth. Talks about you know the earth yielding its harvest. It could be crops, but the great blessing that you can have in wealth or poverty is to know the God who made you, and to know the Savior that He provides to reconcile you to Him. So that when you read the words that He judges the peoples of the earth, that doesn't have to like give you nightmares and panic attacks like it could. But to say ah. When he comes to judge the earth, I'll have shalom. I'll have peace. The judge is my savior. That's the blessing. What's the effect of the blessing? Verses 3 through 5, it's this global worship service. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. In other words, God, bless us in such a way that the world is blessed and we'll know that happens when there's joy in singing. I, I feel like I actually saw a little, little example of the reality of this when I took a group of students one time to Bucharest, Romania. I don't know if you've ever been to that city but this is not embellishing unless it's been radically improved in the last 10 years. Bucharest looks like something that one of George Lucas's or Steven Spielberg's like CGI people would have produced if you made a computer-generated, bleak, communist, urban landscape. That's what Bucharest looks like. And the students, after we'd been there just a little bit, there's a lot more public transportation, so you're always up next to buses and trolley cars and stuff, the students immediately noticed no one smiles. Like, when you pass someone, you make eye contact and you smile, you wonder like, hey, do they notice that like I look like I'm from another country? I make eye contact, I look at all the people, no one is smiling. And it's a tough place. And then you would leave the city streets and you would go into this local church and they would have a worship service and there was joy and there was singing and there was warmth. Now, could we find smiles and warmth in other places in Bucharest? Yeah, I mean, yeah, families. And, but like, what, what evidence that this is real is that this little group of people had come to know God and had come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and they sang and they had joy and they worshiped him. And the psalmist is saying, I, God, I, I want you to bless Israel so that that happens all over the world. Like, that's the answer. 
is that that happened all over the world. Um, I've got to, I'm going to share something with you, and this is kind of bad, but, you know, it's not real bad. It's just kind of, kind of like church naughty, if, if, if you know that category. But um, a guy that, this friend of mine I grew up with, we became Christians around the same time. We grew up in the same church. And um, he, he used to get so tickled about some of these older hymns that we sung growing up, which I'm not making fun of because I love that stuff, but that some of the music he thought sounded like barbershop quartets, the tunes did. And there was one that we used to sing about um, Count Your Many Blessings, Name Them One by One. I don't know, you may or may not have ever heard that song, but there's this part in the chorus where it would say, Count Your Blessings, Name Them One by One, and the music would kind of pause on the seventh chord. And one time when we were in worship together, he, cut, he went like that next to me, t- took me down. I, 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 I can't sing that song without, without thinking of that. Another song that he thought was barbershop quartet was a hymn called, O Zion, Haste, Thy Mission High Fulfilling, which for clunky titles may get a blue ribbon. O Zion, Haste, Thy Mission High Fulfilling. And it, the chorus of this song, it's sung when churches talk about missions and stuff, is publish glad tidings, tidings of peace. And I was talking to that friend recently, the naughty friend of mine, and he, uh, he's still a Christian, so that's good. He said, have you looked at the words of that song in a while? I said, no. And we, we don't sing it here. And l- l- let me just read you two stanzas. Think about this. Think about like a friend of yours who doesn't know God. Okay, think of that. And think of one of these groups, Boko Haram, Al-Qaeda, whatever. Here's the words to the hymn that we, were, we laughed at. Proclaim to every people, tongue, and nation that God, in whom they live and move, is love. Tell how he stooped to save his lost creation and died on earth that man might live above. Publish glad tidings, tidings of peace, tidings of Jesus, redemption, and release. And that, that's humbling. Uh, I wasn't laughing at the song, but it's hard, it's hard for me to read that without getting choked up. Like, what does Al-Qaeda need? What do we need? What does every person need? Redemption. Jesus. Liberty. Everybody needs that. Um, and then the next stanza says this. Give of your sons to bear the message glorious. Give of your wealth to speed them on their way. Pour out your soul for them in prayer victorious. In all your spending, Jesus will repay. And if you read between the lines, what that hymn is saying is, take your mental picture of your future thanksgivings and birthdays and lose them. Let go of the picture so that that global worship service can take place. Um, let me end with this. I, I just, I'm really encouraged about what Jake mentioned and what, what um, Keith Knowlton is um, our, our point man for, this, this I-Face ministry. Just thinking about, wow, there are not just undergraduate, but graduate students from other countries in the middle of our downtown 
I mean, the one building is the middle of the commercial business district of Greenville, South Carolina. And that God has put them there. And I'll tell you, this is where preachers are so prone to go guilt trip and say, listen, God has given us an unbelievable opportunity. Now what are you going to do with it? Let's close in prayer. I think it's a fair question to ask what are we going to do with it. But as I thought about it, I thought, you know what note I want to end on? The note I want to end on is that God, God took culture makers. If you're not just an undergraduate in, in the United States, but doing graduate work in the United States from another country, you are sharp. You are going to be a culture maker in your nation. He puts them in the middle of our downtown surrounded by churches, is the big takeaway. Now, what are we going to do with it? You know what the big takeaway is? That's what God is like. Like God loves those students. He loves us and He loves those students and He loves their families and the nations they represent. And the privilege is that as the blessing comes to us, God blesses us in crazy, huge ways, as it comes to us, is not to be a dam and pool it up for me and my friends and my family, but to taste it and to open the floodgates and let it flow through us so that all the peoples will praise Him. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, for this, Your Word, for Your love for the nations, for Your love for this nation, and the nationalities that we come from, for sending such a great Savior who came not just for Israel but for the Gentiles. We give you thanks and praise you. We ask you that you'd work in us that we not dam up your blessing, but that it flow not only to us but through us and out from us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're at the part in our service.